some of you have been asking about what my creative process is for preparing for a Starfinder game. So we're going to deep dive into my process. Let's get into it. Hello everyone, welcome to the Maple Table. My name's Nathaniel. This is a channel where we discuss role-playing games such as Starfinder and Werewolf the Apocalypse. So if that's something you're interested in, I would love to have you join me at the table. While I was on that bit of a break there for November, I was asking for some suggestions on some things that you would like to see. And one of the things that came up was session planning for your Starfinder game. This is a great idea. First things first, how long do you want your session to be? Are you the type of storyteller who is looking to have an all-day session? Or are you like myself and you can really only get three, maybe four hours as kind of a maximum session time? Typically for myself, like I said, my sessions are about three hours. I will structure them in a way so that we have about an hour and a half of playtime, whether that be a combat, roleplay sessions, what have you. There's my first chunk of time is one and a half hours. We'll try to set up a 15, 20 minute break so you know we can refill drinks, we can go to the bathroom. It's a little easier to follow this kind of a schedule when you're gaming online versus in person. I found that when it's actually in person, you can stretch things out a little bit longer. But for online, I've been finding this works pretty well. And then your back half for your gaming session would be that last hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer depending on what your players have done. If you're running a traditional group of just four players and yourself as the storyteller, your combat is going to be typically between 45 minutes to an hour just for one of them. For myself and my groups, we tend to focus a little bit more heavily on roleplay aspects. So I typically devote more time for my players to roleplay their characters and have these conversations which means there's not generally as many combats. I still try to fit in one combat per session so that even the players who are not as strong in the roleplay aspects have something to do when it comes to combat time. At your table, this may vary. You may have a group who is entirely combat focused and they really don't want to do the roleplaying aspect of things or at least not focus on that as much. If that's the case, then I would suggest maybe putting in two combats for a three hour session. I have had sessions where between me and my players, we've advanced the story based off their decisions and there's actually been no combat involved. As a storyteller, be prepared for that to happen in a role play focused group. If you're playing with new players, expect your combat to take probably an hour and a half, maybe even two hours, simply because everyone's learning the rules, you have to flip through and look up and find stuff, and that's okay. As long as people are asking questions and they're learning, eventually your combats will speed up. If they're not speeding up, then that might be a conversation that you need to have with your players on, are they enjoying the game? Are they not understanding something that maybe you need to talk with them outside of the game? Or it could even just be that the player is not thinking about what they want to do and taking forever to decide what they want to do on their turn. If that's a consistent habit, then maybe take that player aside and talk to them privately to see if you can sort that out. The timing aspect of your sessions is more so an art than it is a science. And the only way you will learn to get that down for yourself is by doing it. And this will change with every group of players that you've got. So 
That's why I say this is more of an art than it is an actual science. But keep those timeframes that I've mentioned in the back of your mind when you're doing your planning and they will be a good guideline for you. Now there's actually two types of encounters that I plan for and this goes not just to Starfinder but to any role-playing game. The first encounter that you have is your role-play encounters. You need to set the opportunity for the players to ask their questions, role-play their characters, give them the opportunity to shine in that sense. The second encounter that you have is your combat encounter. Starting with your first encounter, your role-play encounters, this is those role-play encounters where they're talking to the quest giver, they're investigating while they're on their mission, their quest, whatever it is, and they're meeting those random people, those random NPCs that you have to fulfill and give names to because they often ask for names. Pro tip, have a list of names ready to go. And if you have used those names, write them down. Write them down and a little bit of information about the NPC so that you can create reoccurring characters. Don't have to do this for every NPC that you make, that's just a lot, but sometimes the players will latch on to some nugget of information that you didn't intend. So having a record of who you've made up on the spot makes you seem like you've planned it all along. Now if you're doing your initial meeting or your quest givers just starting them on their new story arc. Generally, I will give them very little information. I give them enough to go on that they have some choice. So it's not necessarily railroading, but you're saying, okay, here's path one, here's path two, maybe even path three. Which one do you want to start off with? As the storyteller, you should already know what the end result is, what's, what's happening behind the scenes. And if you're going to set them up with the option of multiple paths, make them connect at the end. There's nothing worse than when you set an option for your players only to have it be meaningless. I really don't like meaningless choices. And the other thing that I can suggest is when your players are making their investigations or they're looking for clues, give them clues. In my games, there's always going to be one aspect that the players get Always, without a roll, don't put this behind any sort of check because what will inevitably happen is you've got this one important piece of information that you need your players to get and they all fail the rolls and you can't give it to them. You don't want that. You always, always, always give your players at least enough information to make the next step. I think of it almost a bit like a, um, a, bit like a pyramid. So they always get their nugget. They always get the new story direction. You've given them a path. They go to the place and they've done the thing. They've got the MacGuffin or whatever it is. Now they need to know what to do next. In that spot where they get whatever it is that they're looking for, I will have extra clues that I want to provide them. Something that will make it maybe a little easier, maybe point them in a better direction, for example, in a fantasy setting, if they've found something and they know that it was produced in a country, good, then they know where to go next. And in that sense, it's broad. They have a direction, they don't really have a finite direction. Next, as they're starting to do their investigations, what's in the room, what else can we find, what other clues can we give them? That's where your checks come in and your checks should give you further clues down the line, not, not enough to 
unravel the whole story, but again, narrow that scope. So you've told them that they need to go to uh, X country because that's where this one thing was produced. The next clue tells them that this is produced in only two regions of that country. Great, now they have a narrower search and maybe they've done some really good investigation, they've asked some right questions or they just rolled really well and you can say, oh yes, you know, this particular item only exists in the cathedrals of this particular region. Great, now that's even finer. So start with your clues to point your players in a broad direction and as they're doing their investigation, narrow that scope. That's how I think about it anyways when I'm designing these types of uh, either roleplay encounters or they're doing some sort of investigation. That's how I think about it. I know that there's clues that they will find and I don't put those clues in an exactly specific spot. Wherever the players look, that's where they will find something. Again, play to your group because some will be good at computers, some will be good at magic, some will be good at doing the, the talking. So have these clues ready to go and know that you want to give it to them, keep them in the back of your mind. But as they do their investigations and as they do their roles, wherever they look, as long as it makes sense, give them that extra clue. So that's what I think about when I'm designing an encounter that's not combat oriented. When it comes to combat encounters, at least specifically to Starfinder, I try to follow the math that's in the book itself around uh, the challenge rating system. It's very complicated and it's difficult for me to process. I'm still learning it and I'm still trying to fine tune it. This is just something that I do with my games. I don't penalize players experience for not being here. I want everybody to be at the same level because that just makes things easier for me for encounter design. You don't have to do that, I just make it simpler on myself, so that's why I do it. When it comes to combat encounters, I do try to evenly match the players. I don't want my encounters to be too easy, but I don't want to absolutely crush the players either. When it comes to combat encounters, I view it more of, again, as an art than an actual science, as much as the Starfinder system would tell you that if you do this, this will happen. See the math over here. I have played in games where we have been what would be considered an extreme challenge rating. And because the enemies in my mind were, they were powerful, I would call them almost bland. They were amped up to be correct by the book for being a correct challenge rating or a an extreme challenge rating. With myself as the player and a few of my friends though, we're all gamers, we've gamed together for a very long time. These challenges or these combat encounters, we were walking through them. We never, or very rarely, I think only like twice, did we actually have somebody go through their stamina points. And even though they got into their health points, they didn't go that far in. And for the level of challenge that we were supposed to be facing, it was not adding up. I don't want to speak ill of the DM who is running it for us because he's a friend of mine and he is probably, he does probably watch the channel. I understand that what he was going for with his story, the enemies were appropriate for the story that he was telling. The problem is they didn't have some of the other abilities. They didn't have some of the, the flavor of 
some of the other creatures that you can look at. You have creatures that have auras around them. You have creatures that do ability point damage. You have creatures that are invulnerable to certain types of damage or resistant to certain types of damage. I feel like if some of this was incorporated into some of his enemies, it would have really increased the challenge rating for us as the players. But again, you have to pick what fits your story. In my current campaign that I'm running for some other friends of mine, I am using the Akata. They know this. I really love the Akata. They have fought this beast several times. They still don't really know where it's coming from or why yet. And I'm kind of really looking forward to that reveal. One of the byproducts of the Akata is the Void Zombie, and they just recently had an encounter with the Void Zombie. Again, one of those creatures that does ability point damage. I set them up with a moderate encounter with a couple of these Void Zombies. Now, I, I, I almost actually killed the players, and I stepped in a little bit to make sure that they didn't die because I didn't want them to yet. And I think they realized that I did do this, so I'm not really breaking the fourth wall by saying that I did. My point being is that this encounter should have been a medium style of encounter. They should have been able to handle it, and it nearly killed them. And this is in stark contrast to the other encounters that I've played where a friend of mine was running the game and we were just walking all over everything that he threw at us. And he threw lots of enemies at us. One other thing that I try to do with my combat encounters is not just spice them up with the enemies and what their abilities are. You can also try to spice them up with the environment. Have some effects. Have some water on the ground. And if a creative enough player uses like a lightning spell or jam some electrical wire into the water, have it do damage to everyone who is standing in that pool of water. Have pits, bottomless pits, provided that it's story appropriate, and let your players 300 style kick the baddies down the hole, or at least attempt to. This is Sparta! I'm all about the player fun. The player should be having fun. You still need to be telling your story. It is your story as the DM, the storyteller, whatever title you go by. But you can't tell your story without players and without their buy-in. This is what I think about when I'm designing my encounters. If, even if this is just broad strokes or if this helps you, take some of my ideas. I steal a lot of my ideas. Actually, I take some of the Matt Coville approach when it comes to problem solving. I create a problem for the players and I let them solve it. And whatever they came up with, that's the answer. Sometimes because it's easier for me to do it that way, but they'll usually come up with something. If they don't, then don't be afraid to help them out a little bit to get them going in the right direction. I feel like I've run on quite a bit for this video, actually. My name's Nathaniel. You've been watching The Maple Table. Thank you so much for your subscription. Thanks for stopping by, everyone.